Please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians as we continue to work through this book. Today I want to preach on chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 from the book of Colossians. And while you turn there, also turn to the book of Ephesians, which is two books over and just hold your place there. I'll show you a similarity between Ephesians and Colossians on this subject matter. Yesterday, or not, not yesterday, last week, I preached on verses 18 and 19 that say, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And here's our passage today. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Look at Ephesians now, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'm simply pointing this out as a frame of reference to show you how similar these passages are. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that as your dear children, you will strengthen us to see the clarity of your word and how it applies to all of us in every stage of life and even now here in Centerville, Mississippi. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, today, as a way of introduction and even angling into this little passage of Scripture, let me start off by asking and answering a question that I think we seldom ask. And that is this, why? Why did God make the world so that humanity reproduces itself And all of us start off as babies and children. Why did God make the world like that? Think about it. Why didn't God just create all of the human race all at one time and fill up the world immediately with billions and billions of adult people so that we all have instant maturity and we never go through time of being a baby or a child? Well, in in answering this question... As I answer this question, we're going to see that there is an association between heaven and earth. And also, in answering this question, it's going to lead us to see something else. It's going to lead us to see God's gracious character towards His first children. This will help us as we segue into Colossians this way. It's going to help us understand Paul's commands towards children and also towards fathers. So, let's answer the question, why God did not create all humanity at one time? In answering this question, let's do this. We're going to notice this, that there's a big difference between how God created the angels and how God created mankind. Think of this, angels, they do not marry one another. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. Angels, they do not reproduce themselves. And therefore, you think about it, 
There's no angel that gives birth to baby angels, okay? In fact, God created billions and trillions of adult angels, so to speak, all at one time. Now, I have often referred to the place where angels dwell as the angel heavens. But when you read Psalm 148, it refers to that place as the heaven of heavens. And it calls on those angels in that heaven of heavens to to worship the Lord from their place. And also, when you read about King Solomon, when he dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 18, he even referred to that place where angels dwell as the heaven of heavens. Now think about it. This language, heaven of heavens, it implies that there's a heaven that is superior to a lower heavens, or at least it implies that there's two types of heavens. These two types of heavens are two different heavens as mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. There's one heaven that was stretched out on day 2 and also filled up on day 4 with the ruling lights above us. I talked about that uh, last week. That's one heaven. But there's another heaven. This is the heaven of heavens. There's a heaven of heavens mentioned that that the psalmist mentions and that King Solomon mentions and it's also referred to in Genesis chapter 1 and it's in verse 1 where it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth this first place this first verse where it mentions the heavens that is the heaven of heavens and that is the place where God populated That heaven of heavens with adult angels, fully mature angels. And think about it. At that time, whenever the heaven of heavens was filled with those angels, what was the population of earth on day one? It was zero. There was no people on earth at that time on day one. So, upon creation, there's a massive contrast between the population of angels in the heaven of heavens, and the population of people upon the earth. And this contrast between heaven and earth, it illustrates the same theme and the same principle that I've been preaching about in several sermons. And that is this. God uses heaven as a role model. He uses heaven as a pattern of what He is going to eventually do upon the earth. Just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, God's will to be done on earth as it's done in heaven, we're acknowledging God's desire to make earth more and more like heaven. So this leads us to answering the question of why God did not create all humanity at one time as adults is because of this. Heaven serves as the archetype. Heaven serves as the model, the model of perfection. And now God is eventually replicating this upon the earth. He is gradually developing population upon the earth so that now, eventually, earth is going to look more and more like like heaven. Just as there's perfected angels and populating the heaven above, God is perfecting humanity and populating the earth below. You think about it. The heaven of heavens was perfected and populated upon the creation. The earth was empty and would go through different stages of development and growth. 
It would go from a time of childhood to a time of adulthood. It would go from empty to being filled. It would go from darkness to light. Well, that slow process of populating the earth began on day six when God created a child. He created a child upon the earth, a son in his image. Now, of course, Adam looked like an adult. But literally, listen to this. In Genesis 2-4, it says that Adam was an offspring of the heavens and the earth. This means this, that God's heavenly breath functioned as Adam's father, and the dust of earth functioned as Adam's mother. When those two joined together, Adam was born, so to speak. He became their offspring. He became a child of heaven and earth. God's goal and God's intention for Adam was for Adam to grow up, to become more and more like his father God, so that he would grow from a time of childhood into a greater time of adulthood. And this is one reason that why Adam was naked in the garden, even with his wife. They were both naked at that time in history, not simply because of their sinlessness, not simply because of their innocence, but because of their immaturity, because they were in a, a time, a stage of history of infancy for humanity. That was what their nakedness was, was also indicating. Also, you think about this, the, the context of this time in history, the beginning of humanity, that childhood, that immaturity, it shows us this, God's character in Genesis chapter 3. God's judgments were very gentle and very merciful toward His disobedient children. Let me articulate this and explain this why. And this is where you see God's character first as a father and how He deals with Adam and the woman. You'll notice that in Genesis 3, God did not pour out His wrath and His fury and all His hell upon them in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, God actually judged them in a very similar way that you would judge a child. You punish a child, and with the punishment, you protect them, you correct them, and you provide for them. Let me give you a little brief rundown of God's gentle judgments in Genesis chapter 3 as a gracious and strong Heavenly Father. First of all, in Genesis 3, God did not curse Adam and Eve directly. In fact, God focused His curse particularly on the serpent, and then He cursed the ground directly. Yes, it was a judgment indirectly against Adam, but he did not curse Adam nor Eve directly. It was an indirect curse mediated through the ground. Secondly, we see that God protects the woman, his first daughter, so to speak. He protects her by pulling her away from the serpent. He granted hatred between her and the serpent that hatred would serve as a form of protective barrier between her and the wicked, evil serpent, Satan. God even promised His ultimate protection toward them whenever He promised that He would crush the serpent eventually. 
Also, God punished the woman with pain in childbirth, but he promised that she would have many, many, many children. God even restored her desire for Eve. And then God also restored Adam back to being a husband so that they would come together and even have children and populate the earth. To Adam, God told him that he would work for bread by the sweat of his brow. But in doing this, God was promising to give him his daily bread as a father would give his children. Also, whenever God said that Adam would return back to the dust, implicitly right there, God is saying that he's going to return back to his mothering source, which implies a new birth to come, a birth in the resurrection of the life of the world to come after the Savior comes. Even there, God's looking forward to the future of the resurrection. Also, instead of killing both of Adam, <clears throat> both Adam and, and the woman at that moment, God killed an animal as a substitute. <clears throat> and he clothed the man and the woman and covered their shame and moved them forward into the future so that they would subdue the earth, so that they would have many children. And that world that they were moved out into had both the judgments and the promises of God. I give you all that history there in the back of in, in the start of the Bible <clears throat> because you can, this will help you understand that whenever God started the world, He started the world with children, so to speak. People who He created that were in a stage of infancy and childhood. Also, you see the character of God, the mercy of God, and how He handles and deals with His children. Also, you see that God is the ultimate Father. And of course, He's the ultimate Father because Jesus Christ is the ultimate Son. So with all that back in our minds, now we can look at and think about the applications we get to when we see verse 20 and 21 here in Colossians. Notice this. He says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for it is well-pleasing to the Lord. Make a couple of observations about this and why he tells children to obey his parents. First of all, notice this, and even you children, notice this that God is well pleased. Well pleasing. Imagine that. God looking down from heaven and smiling and saying, Yes, that's my child. Yes, that's my son. Because look, that child is obeying his or her parents. You know what this implies? I mean, before I give you the answer, let me ask you the question. How is God ever pleased? How is God ever really, really pleased by sinful people? He's only pleased one way by sinful people, and that is through His Son who is sinless. He's only pleased because He sees us through Jesus Christ, accepts us through Jesus Christ. So this means this. Why is God pleased with our children whenever they obey the parents is because their children are being regarded as in Christ. This is why it's important for Christian parents always to look at their children as Christians, not as pagans, not as unbelievers. When they come, when they start off, okay, unless they apostatize one day, but when they start off, they start off as seeds in the church, as godly seeds in the church. And Christian parents are to look at them as little Christians who are being nurtured and being accepted in the Lord through Jesus Christ. 
This is why we baptize our children at such a young age. And that is infancy. Because they start off in the Lord. This is why Paul said in Ephesians, admonish your children in the Lord. Children who are brought up in the church are brought up in the Lord. We look at them as if they have faith and they are obligated to exercise that faith and act out that faith. And we simply trust that the Holy Spirit has been working on, on them since conception. Okay? And that's what baptism is pointing to. It's, pointing to, it's identifying a child as being part of the Lord's family. And that's why Paul can say here that the child is well-pleasing to the Lord because he is in Christ Jesus and he's obeying his parents. Think of the word, the well-pleasing word here. Remember when God said he was well-pleased? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Suddenly a voice came from heaven. This is at Jesus' baptism. And the God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That verdict of well-pleasingness that is funneled upon Jesus Christ, it comes to all the children who are identified and baptized into Jesus Christ. And when God sees obedient children, He is so proud. He is so happy. He's well-pleasing. He's seen His children growing up. And honoring their parents. Now, I have a question, another question. Why? Why does God want children to obey their parents? Well, here's one reason. If a child cannot obey his parents, then a, a child cannot obey God. What you have to understand is God established the world with hierarchy. The first hierarchy that you see is the sun and moon and stars above you. They rule the heavens. They rule the, the visible heavens. They rule the day and the night. And you obey the rulers above you. So God is using them as a hierarchy above us. And, and we go to sleep. We raise up because the rulers of the sky tell us to do that. And we obviously obey them. Same thing in a family. God positions a mother and a father in a family. And God basically delegates that authority and says, Okay, you function as a mother. You function as a father. And have those children obey you. God likes to delegate authority to rulers and governors, parents and pastors here upon the earth. This is why the, the fifth commandment, <clears throat> honor your father and your mother, does not simply apply to your biological mother and your father. It applies to any ruler any functioning father, any functioning mother, any, any type of ruler in the world that has responsibility over others. God has put the world in place to where there is hierarchy. There are people in charge. There's people under your charge. This is one thing that a uh, type, in a way, communism and Marxism hates. They, take, they hate a world of hierarchy. They want to bring it all down so that there's no distinction there's no difference of level of competency and that everything is brought down to the dirt and it's all just simply raised down. That's, that's a demonic world. That's a satanic world. That's a world that is an assault upon God's created order and his positions. <clears throat> Whereas God has put, put delegated a hierarchy upon the world so that people will grow from, from the ground up. They will mature from childhood to adulthood. Also, here's another question, children and also adults. 
Why does God want you to obey your parents? It's because of this. God wants you to prosper later in life. Now, yeah, I'm totally against the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. All right? But God wants you to prosper. (laughs) He wants you to to succeed. Whenever you take a job, when you grow up, I want you to think about this. There's a saying that says this. It takes a real good man just to do what he's told to do. You ever heard something like that? If you're an employer, if you're a boss, and you're hiring people, and you have a job description, and that child, that person has a problem with authority and doesn't want to do what he's told to do, you're going to be fired. You're going to lose your job. You're going to be the type of person that says, I'm not going to do it because that that crazy boss is just too mean, didn't speak to me in the right way. Whereas if you just simply do learn to do what you're told to do, you're going to be noticed. You're going to be promoted. You're going to be placed in positions of authority, of responsibility, because you actually do the job right. This is why, even indicating here in in Ephesians, why I read Ephesians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul said it's the first commandment that comes with a promise. What's the promise attached to the, first, to the fifth commandment? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3. That it may be, go well with you and you may live long on the earth. Here's a severe warning in Scripture. If you really want to make sure that your life is cut short, that it's cut off, and you do not live long, If you just simply disobey parents and disobey authority and try to go against the authority structures around you, then you most certainly, most likely, will not have a long life. That's as a general rule. Yes, there's exceptions to the rule. Okay? All of you know exceptions. But I want you to think about the general rule pronounced in Scripture. And that is, you want to have a long life. You want to have a prosperous life. Therefore, early in life, learn to simply obey your mom and dad, do what you're told to do, and that'll translate later in life to advancements, to financial prosperity, to employment, and all that. Along these lines, let me go and I was going to read to you this part. Think of uh, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 1. Here's a couple of verses in Proverbs 1 to show you God's intention of a long life. My son, he says, Proverbs 1, chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. He says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Verse 13, happy is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She has more precious things than rubies and all the things you desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand and her left hand riches and honor. God wants you to have a long and prosperous life according to His law. He's looking forward to a bright future ahead of you. And the best way you can guarantee and solidify for yourself a bright future is to obey your mom and dad as you grow up, and therefore you'll be ready and primed to obey your boss, your teachers, wherever you go to school or college or trade school. 
and then you can <clears throat> prosper later in life. That's God's good intention for you. We spoke about the children here in verse 20. Look at verse 21. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Notice there's a severe warning here for fathers. If they bring their strength into, in, a, in an overbearing way, if a father is a tyrant, if a father is abusive, if he, if he does something to compromise his authority figure, it can, his, his authority position, it can provoke his, provoke his children into angerness and bitterness. I have talked to various people who've had very, I would say, criminal fathers in their past who would do egregious sins and crimes even. And those children, as they grow up, they even struggle for the rest of their lives with having anger issues and problems concerning authority figures or fathers. When you think about this as well and how it applies to Genesis chapter 3, the angel came into the garden with authority. The angel came into the garden with authority to teach and to instruct these children of God and, and to become wise and to grow. That was most likely his commission. But that angel that went into the garden to teach decided to disrupt, decided to teach them to obey. And that angel had that authority parental figure toward God's children and became the Satan, became the devil. And this helps explain why there's a difference of curse there or judgments between the children and the father figure. What did God do to that father, father figure in the garden? He cursed it and says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to crush you. That angel came in there as a type of father figure and he abused his authority. And with that abusive authority that he had to lead them astray, God promised he would kill him. That's exactly the type of language that Jesus used whenever you think about the, the millstone. If anyone leads one of these children astray, may a millstone be wrapped around your neck and thrown into the sea, and Jesus Christ is saying that person deserves to die because Jesus loves children so much. And when people abuse and function as tyrants like the devil did in Genesis. That's why there's a greater severity upon those in positions who abuse their positions. So Paul is encouraging fathers to be sensitive here. Do not provoke your children to anger with any overbearingness, but they need to be sensitive, lest your children become discouraged. And this is why I introduced this whole passage of Scripture with the narrative and the history of Genesis 2 and 3. I hope you remember how God functioned upon His first children who were disobedient there. How firm and gracious He was. How strong and sensitive He was, even in Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to leave you with the final note, and I'm going to call it the family prayer. You and I have often heard of it as the Lord's Prayer. But I want to point out something here about the Lord's Prayer that's actually a family prayer. And it helps you see the sensitivity of God. I would say the humor of God. And even also the fatherhood of God. Because of this. 
And this is coming from a comment mentioned by an author named Eugene Peterson. He talks about how in the inner circle of the family prayer, of the Lord's Prayer, we, we say there's petitions and requests. That's what our catechism says. And, you know, when you request something, you say, listen, sir, would you please do this? Would you please do this? That's my petition before you please. You're asking. But in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's teaching us to actually talk like children to our Heavenly Father. How do children talk? Do they always say, Daddy, would you please do this? Daddy, would you please do this? No. You know what children do? They give us little commands. Hey, Daddy, come outside and play. And what does Daddy do? He obeys. Okay, we'll do that. Hey, Daddy, let's go do this. Okay, let's do that. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's a little command given from a son, to him, from a child, to a father. That's the language of the Lord's Prayer. Imperatives. Our Father, who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. That's an imperative. Our Father, who art in heaven, forgive us our debts. Our Father, who art in heaven, do not lead us into temptation. Our Father, who art in heaven, deliver us from evil. You catch that language there? It's, it's God in His strength and in His sensibility says, Come on to me. Tell me. Tell me what to do. Give me a little command. I'll respond as your Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your beauty, for your sensitivity. We give you thanks, Lord, that you like to hear our little commands as your dear children in your eternal family. We pray, Father, that our fatherhood will reflect more of your fatherhood. We pray, Father, that our sonship, our childship here, our childhood in this life will reflect even more and more the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal begotten Son of God. We pray, Father, that your word will continue to give us wisdom and clarity in all stages of life, and that you will mature us and grow us from glory to glory. It's in Jesus Christ's name we give you thanks and praise. Amen.